to see you all. <clears throat> I like to begin my programs by quoting Baba, who always said in Hindi, With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was the essence of uh, his approach to spirituality, to welcome other people with love. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to continue tonight a uh, program that I began in, uh, in Ganeshpuri, which I call the, uh, the Lineage Program. <laughs> How's the boy doing? Is he too distracting? What? Is he too distracting? Always. <laughs> But um, it started, do we have uh, some images? <clears throat> so the lineage program begins and ends with Bhagwan Nityananda, the great sage of Ganeshpuri, and we had our programs maybe 50 meters from uh, the Samadhi Shrine that uh, Swami Parmananda was talking about where he's, where he's buried very powerful spiritual center. So that's uh, Bhagwan Nityananda, who was the guru of my guru, Baba Muktananda. <clears throat> this is Baba during one of the Ganeshpuri summers, sitting in his chair in the ashram. And he had an ashram just up the road from where we were staying. One more. And this, of course, is a scene from <clears throat> Kailas Nivas, or Bhagwan Nityananda's ashram, and that very same uh, little slab and the, the window behind it uh, is still there. Uh, and there's Baba getting darshan. <clears throat> now, before I, I uh, do the program, uh, while we were there, uh, we did a session of question answers. <clears throat> and we were, had tons of questions. We couldn't finish them all. So I thought that we'd, we'll knock a few off at a time. This person's still in India. Oh. Well, too bad. <laughs> so they'll have to hear about it. How do you know who it is? Does it say so? I just know. Okay. <laughs> all right, anyway, let's... Uh, you want to do a different one? I don't think I have it with me. No, I only have two. They might be watching. <clears throat> okay. Where would I look? There? If you're watching, here we go. Let's go. Is it better to question or follow in sadhana? And why? <clears throat> That's one of the paradoxes about... about um, the, the clash between making effort, intense effort, and surrender. They seem to be in moving in different directions. And uh, there's a place for both of those movements uh, in the yoga. And both are good to question. You should question and inquire into yourself. And very, uh, very deeply, you should try to understand your true motives, your deep motives. These come as a shock sometimes. 
but this is called self-study, uh, Swadhyay, but, it's called, but uh, Gurdjieff used to call it self-study, to see how you actually react to things and what actually motivates you, not, not um, how your fantasy about yourself. We all have fantasies about our great virtue and our great goodness and all these things. Uh, but to look directly at the way we actually react is very instructive. So it's good to question, to inquire, and to ask what's going on inside. And it's also good to follow the teachings of the path, the scriptures, the guru, and with great faith to do those, those practices. Because uh, when you do them with great faith, you get great rewards. So both are necessary. <clears throat> What is the most important teaching in this path? <clears throat> well, Baba summed it up in two phrases. One is uh, to welcome other people with love, and the other was to meditate on the self. So these represent two movements, the, the movement towards the inner world, and when you meditate on your essence, you meditate on the place within where there is love, there's peace, there's wisdom, because that exists within every person. There are times in life when you just feel fucked up, <laughs> screwed up, miserable, confused, and unhappy. <clears throat> Even in those times, beneath that, there's a place of great peace and joy and stillness, which you haven't attained. And so it's important to uh, to go deep within, we call that place the self. In sort of modern parlance, I call it the clear space of good feeling. And it's a place that exists within every person, and it takes a, 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 a wise person to be able to find that place amidst all the changes of life and so on. So we have to look within and find the self. So the knowledge of the self the search for the self, the faith in the self, uh, this is the most important teaching. And then the other part of that teaching is to love everyone, see everyone as part of the divine. And the third thing I would add to it is uh, to follow the teachings and directions of the guru. Baba would often say that this triangle was, was correct, God, guru, and self. And the three are one. So in, th in this sense, you could think of the self as your own self and the guru as the guru and God as being the whole of external reality. And God, guru, and self are one. If you can balance all those three, you'll attain the goal. So these are the most important things, God, guru, and self. And sometimes you want to follow God, sometimes you want to follow guru, sometimes you want to follow self. You can't go wrong. So, okay, I hope that answered your question. You'll have to tell me later who it was. <clears throat> I won't ask now. So in this program, the lineage program, <clears throat> I begin with a few, um, a few of Bhagwan Nityananda's utterances. And this one seems familiar to me that I, didn't do it too long ago, 
but it's very um, uh, mysterious, as all of his utterances were. Bhagavan Nityananda said, and this was not, he didn't give these in informal discourses like this, or satsangs like that. These were just casual utterances that he may, might have been visiting a devotee's house, or some devotee might have come to speak to him, and there was uh, one devotee who was writing everything down. And thanks to her, Tulsiyama, we have a record of some of these things. <clears throat> Bhagwan says, the best of cobras have the internal breath. The best of cobras. The, not any old cobra. The best of them. The cream de la cream of the cobras. <clears throat> you know, it must be the celibate cobras with the jewel in their heads. Yeah. They listen attentively to the sweet music of the flute. So, you know, when they, when they, uh, the cobras sway, you've seen uh, snake charmers in India, you'll see the cobras swaying to it. So here it must be the internal breath must mean that they have some kind of inner experience, some kind of inner experience. <clears throat> then he goes on, the jnani, the realized being or the person of knowledge, loves all people, all things, as thoroughly as the cow loves her calf. It's a very hard transition, isn't it? This is Bhagavan Nityananda's mind. But the great being loves everyone, welcomes everyone with love. <clears throat> and this, this is same-sightedness or equal vision. This is to see everyone as lovable, not just these people, my group, my religion, my country, my family, but to see everyone uh, as the same. This is same-sidedness. Then he goes, does another little uh, right-hand turn or left-hand turn. He says, there can be no house without doors, no cooking without utensils. The dog will eat whether the food is in a golden dish or a stone dish. Now I defy you to work this out. The dog will eat whether the food is in a golden dish or a stone dish. It has equal vision, right? When it comes to food, it doesn't care. We'll only eat the dog food out of a golden dish. Right, so... <clears throat> the bird thinks only of today's needs, not tomorrow's. A seed kept in a box will never grow. It cannot yield fruit, but the same seed, if placed in soil, will sprout and yield fruit. <clears throat> so you have to expand your mind into Bhagavan Nityananda's state to put all these things together in one. <clears throat> because that can't be grasped with the mind. Um, and then he, then he brings it home, what he's really saying. You must practice. You must experience. You yourself are responsible for either happiness or misery. Saying everything has its appropriate way. A house has to have doors. 
<clears throat> uh, if you're going to cook food, you need utensils. Uh, and if you want to attain the self, you have, you have to practice. You have to do something about it. Uh, and you, you yourself are responsible for either happiness or misery. This is one of the great fundamental teachings of spirituality, is to take responsibility for your own life. That we always think somebody did something to us. Somebody did something to us. Somebody deprived us of our happiness. Somebody deprived us of our freedom. Somebody deprived us of this or inflicted this on it. Well, the truth is that once we take responsibility, then we can begin to work on it. It's true, we may be a victim of another, but we've created that situation. So we have to wake up and, and start to work within. We have to practice and we have to experience for ourselves. So it's very enigmatic, but uh, rich. Another one. <clears throat> this is also quite uh, mysterious. The sunlight is reflected in the salt water of the sea. It is also reflected in the clear water of a tank at the top of a hill. <laughs> of, of, uh, you know, uh, makes me always think of, uh, if you go up a hill from the village, you get to the, uh, what is it, the, uh, what temple is it? The, the Ganesh temple, up on, the Ganesh temple up there. And if there's a tank of water there, the sunlight is reflected there. Um, <clears throat> so two, uh, two reflections, different mediums, right? One is salt water, the other is clear water. And the sun is reflected. He says, Seeing things with the physical eyes is not enough. You must experience the inner significance of the thing seen. How does that make sense? <clears throat> you have to look subtly at everything that happens. Two, the, two kinds of water reflect the sun. You have to make that distinction and understand it. Another one. Two short ones. <clears throat> Give up honor and dishonor. Only then can you see God everywhere and in every being. Give up honor and dishonor. We spend a lot of our times worrying about whether we're valued enough, whether people appreciate us enough, whether people insult us and put us down. And we think about that a lot. Bhagavan Nityananda says, give it up, don't worry about it. And then you can see God. Don't worry about that, because all of that is the play of, of the ego. <clears throat> I, and I, this always reminds me of, of uh, the great uh, Kashmiri saint Lali, Lalita, who, who wrote wonderful poetry, but um, <clears throat> I think it was Lolly, wasn't it, who uh, she once uh, put a, a knot every time somebody insulted her and a knot every time somebody was nice to her. And at the end of the day, she weighed the uh, scarf and weighed the same as at the beginning. So it made no difference. 
that's the point. So if we can do that, if we can accept honor and dishonor equally, and that's a very big reach. Most of us are pretty thin-skinned. And finally, one more by uh, Bhagavan Nityananda. I love this one. It says, now, before you die, leave the jungle road and follow the royal road. The jungly road. The road filled with thickets and suffering and difficulties and darkness and ignorance. And take the royal road, the royal road of yoga. Be a yogi. saying, just as Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita said to Arjuna, be a yogi, Arjuna, and attain the self. So here Bhagavan is saying, don't be in the jungly road of life, which everybody's in, worrying about this and that. Take the royal road. Be a yogi. You still get, as you begin to practice, you're still hung up on the jungle. It still haunts you. Even sitting in your cave in meditation, even in Ganeshpuri, the jungle comes and, and uh, assaults you. But gradually, gradually, as you, as you practice the royal road, the Raja Yoga, the yoga of the siddhas, the yoga, what we call Shiva Yoga, if you practice that, the light comes in and you're less and less affected by the complexity of, of the mundane world. He says, on your deathbed, you may suffer if the prana is obstructed by disease. Purify the breath and consciousness now. It's all preparation for death so that you have clarity and peace at that moment. Purify the breath. Bhagavan Nityananda's meditation method was a meditation on the breath. And it would focus on the breath coming in and going out. And by combining the, the uh, awareness with the breath, the breath got purified, the consciousness got purified, negative emotions disappeared and it became anchored in the self. So that's Bhagavan Nityananda. Now a few from, from Baba, Baba Muktananda. <clears throat> this is a question from my days in Ganeshpuri in the ashram with Baba. Uh, and the questioner is Malu. Malu was a French woman and uh, uh, a real yogini. She's a little older and she'd been all over India looking for teachings and yoga. She's a very intense seeker. <clears throat> and uh, she says, is it possible to keep awareness during sleep? If so, how? Now, most people don't care about that. They're very happy to lose awareness in sleep. But it just shows you what, a, what an intense yogini Malu was. She was so intense. <clears throat> what I really remember about her is how, uh, as the ashram grew, when I first got there, there were <clears throat> not too many people. I mean, it was, you know, something. There was 50 to 100 people there. Um, but, you know, as it went on, it grew to hundreds and even thousands. Uh, and it, it became quite uh, a test. And you would be, you know, you, when all the work, when you meditate, you were okay. 
But when you did your work in the ashram, you had to come up against other egos and other, and clashing with people. And I used to see Baba leaning back, and he would sometimes say, I, uh, I don't have to work on you, you work on each other. And uh, he was amused. But some of the more severe yogis said, this isn't the proper uh, atmosphere for yoga. I need to go to a cave. I need to go to the Himalayas. I need to go where I can meditate. These people are disturbing me. And Baba would say, well, they're disturbing you. That shows that you need exactly this because if you went to a cave and meditated, as soon as you came back into the world, you'd be disturbed. So learn how to deal with it now, and so on. And that was his method. <clears throat> but so Malu was always saying, let me out of here. I want to go meditate in the cave. And Baba would say, you stay here and do your sadhana. Uh, anyway, Baba says, does one ever lose awareness during sleep? If awareness were lost, who would witness sleep? So the very fact that you can say, I slept well, means that you were, some part of you was aware there. Can one who is unaware witness it? It is only the conscious self that has the power of knowing, not inert matter. The one who witnesses the waking state with full awareness also witnesses sleep without losing awareness. The same one witnesses all the states lying beyond sleep, right up to the state of divine awareness. It is the same conscious self that perceives the objective world during waking and dream <clears throat> and during sleep. When you're in a higher state, you will perceive the inner seer who is nothing but the blue pearl, the witness. The scriptural author says, that is the Lord who perceives all three phenomena of waking dream and deep sleep distinctly and illuminates them. Baba's referring probably to, although it appears many places, but in, in the Shiva Sutras, Kashmir Shaivism, uh, there's a couple of sutras, Chutaya Bhukta Viresha, which means uh, Lord Shiva is the witness of the three states. And that's something to contemplate. The one who watches the waking state, the dream state, and the deep sleep is Lord Shiva. You can see in the waking state there's someone who watches it, been watching your whole life, seen your whole life go by. But also in your dream state, there's the dream contents, but there's also a watcher. And that watcher is Shiva. And he also watches the deep sleep state even though it's a state of nescience, of nothingness, there's one who's aware of that nothingness. He goes on, keep trying, Baba says, keep trying to know that self. He is consciousness, eternal and ever-present. It may seem to you that he exists for a while and then ceases to exist, but that is wrong. So this, Baba's message really is, don't worry about trying to... Uh, have conscious sleep, you know. Some paths they do that. Baba says, try to know the self. While you're awake, try to know the self. Keep trying to know the self. And w discover when you're away from the self. How do you know you're away from the self? You go into a negative state. You go into a state of suffering or separation. And let that wake you up and, 
and turn back to the self. How do you know you're in touch with the self? In a state of harmony, state of peace, state of love, state of joy. So keep working with that. Keep moving towards the higher state. Baba says, according to Shaivism, both the perceiver and the perceived are made of the same consciousness. <clears throat> the material world and the one who watches, the, the uh, conscious perceiver, are the same stuff. Otherwise, it, we couldn't know the external world if there wasn't some similarity. The subject and the object are one. The subject and object were once one in the state of oneness and then split into two. So there's a subject here and an object there, but they're really one. If you think about it, you, you have an experience of the outer world, of life, of all these objects, but they all take place within your awareness of them. You can't get out of that. It's impossible for the external world to be outside of your awareness of it. You only know it in your awareness. So what you experience as the outer world is really part of your own awareness. This is a very uh, profound insight to contemplate. And when, when I understood that, I understood what Kashmir Shaivism was talking about. There is one consciousness, and it incorporates the whole of this reality. He says, there's a short work in Marathi of divine quality called Changdev Pasati. Pasati means 65. This work consists of 65 verses. Changdev was a great yogi who lived for thousands of years. <clears throat> in this work, Muktabai, the great sister of Yaneshwar, instructs Changdev. He says, the seer becomes the seen, and the seen becomes the seer. So Yaneshwar Maharaj, of course, had three siblings, and they all became great sages. And the, woman, the girl, there were three boys and a girl, Muktabai was the girl, all of them were great sages. And this Changdev was a local yogi. He was a thousand years old. Actually, I think he exaggerated. He was only about 950 years old. <clears throat> so, but he had, he had the pride of yoga, of having great attainment. And then Yanishwar um, uh, and his siblings demonstrated their attainment by having, making a buffalo recite the Vedas. And also a, a, a wall to move and also they cooked chapatis on their backs. This is, these are the stories that go. When Changdev saw all that, um, he was very impressed. And he bowed down and he realized he was too full of ego. <clears throat> and some of those uh, uh, buffaloes are still reciting the Vedas. <clears throat> anyway, uh, this point has been thoroughly dealt with in Shaivism, the yogis perceive the truth with outstanding clarity. You don't have to try to retain awareness during sleep. You don't have to try to do that. Only try to see the one who is constantly aware. So let's do a dharana now. This is not just a concept. It's a direct experience. So go look within, see the part of you that has been there in your whole life. 
You know, many your attitudes have changed in your life. Your country has changed. You may be speaking a different language. You might be with different people. You might have a different job. But there is one element that has always been there. And that is the witness of your life. That is the self. So just become aware of it. Try to see the one who is constantly aware. Just get in touch with, reach out with your intuition and find that place. It was there when you were three, when you were five, when you were 12, when you got married, when you got divorced, when you got married again, when you got divorced again, when you got married again, got divorced again, always was there. He is the one. Baba goes on, it's because of your mind that you think you become unconscious during sleep. <clears throat> that one moment consciousness is functioning and the next moment ceases to function. Can consciousness ever cease? So Shaivism says that consciousness undergoes the three states. The three states. Waking, dream, and deep sleep. And each state has different characteristics. And then there's the fourth state, the Turiya state, which is the state of pure awareness. And this lies behind, beneath, and between these other three states of consciousness. So that's always there. Even when we're lost in sleep, this Turiya state is always there. Baba says, consciousness is like the sun, which illuminates others as well as itself. What a glorious, wonderful phenomenon the sun is. It illumines the whole world and also itself. Likewise, consciousness reveals all things in all states. The self never loses awareness. Know this and your illusion, your confusion will vanish. So know this self. So it means to look directly at awareness. What a mystery. It is our awareness that we are aware beings. We're different from a stone or an inert object. We're aware. What does that mean to be aware? You know that you're aware, so look at the principle of awareness any way you can. Turn within, say, I am aware. And then become aware of awareness itself. This is the essence of the path of wisdom. Let's see. Should I do one more, Baba? Hmm? Oh, this is this one you'll like. It's simple. <clears throat> this is H. G. Watt. I was an Indian devotee. Uh, he asked. What is the easiest and simplest way to peace of mind? What's Baba going to say? Baba says, the same as we're doing here, the yoga of meditation. This yoga is the easiest, simplest, and greatest of all. Meditation encompasses all the spiritual practices. We read in the Guru Gita every day, a caterpillar changes into a butterfly 
by continually meditating on the butterfly. <clears throat> Likewise, the seeker becomes God or the guru by meditating on God or the guru. And this is really one of the essence of, uh, of Baba's yoga, you could say. His guru, Bhav, says, what we contemplate, we become. What we think about, we become. Where we constantly find fault with others, we become fault-finding, become blame. When we constantly brood about what we don't have, we just dry up and feel lack and sorry for ourselves. But when we meditate on the higher truth, we become that truth. He says, Lord Shiva says to Parvati, there's no practice beyond meditation. It is the greatest of all practices. There is no attainment greater than grace. It is the greatest of all attainments. That upliftment, that feeling of, of fulfillment that happens when you tap that source. Once you've obtained grace, you should continue to meditate and not worry about it. Meditation on the inner self releases enormous power. Meditation on the self is the easiest path. It not only brings peace of mind, but also delivers one from all sin and sorrow. It bestows perfection. This is a natural technique for rising to divinity from humanity. There is no technique higher than meditation, no attainment greater than meditation, nor is there anything beyond meditation. Therefore, everyone should meditate, Baba says. Uh, well, maybe that's the, the uh, main teaching. And so the goal of meditation is the inner self, so we should meditate on the self. Um, <clears throat> I always like to end these programs with a few notes from the tea shop. You ready for a note from the tea shop? Okay, this is called Spanda, the evolutionary impulse. Spanda is the Shakti. It's the energy of the divine. When you're, when you're absorbed in externals and the mundane, everything is dry and, and dull. But when you tune in to the place that vibrates within, then everything becomes enlivened. And that's the Spanda principle, if you can get in touch with it. It's there. It's waiting for you, and everyone craves it. But we don't know how to look for it. What's the way to look for it? Meditation is the way to look for it. <clears throat> so uh, the writer says, the Shaivite notion of the tattvas describes the contraction that consciousness undergoes to eventually become the material world. So if you understand Shaivism, Shaivism says that consciousness is the first principle, pure consciousness. And then it goes through this process of contraction or folding in on itself, and it, it, it steps down and down until it becomes the most material and inert thing, like a stone, like a rock. That's why we have always keep Sri rock there. <clears throat> but Shaivism says even when it does that, it's, it's vibrating, you know, at the highest level, it vibrates a very high-pitched, clean, clear vibration. It's going om, om. 
And then as it comes down, it gets lower and duller, until the vibration of the rock, which is like, like that. <clears throat> but all the time, there's a one consciousness, just a more contracted form. He goes on, since the material world is in essence the contraction of consciousness, there is even in the darkest, densest matter, a rock or a black hole. They say a black hole is the, the most dense matter, isn't it? That's what they say. That's the densest. What happens if you fall into a black hole? Oh, man. <laughs> it's the darkest, densest. <clears throat> Uh, and an unconscious knowledge of the self or consciousness, which are even in those places, even in a black hole, there is an unconscious knowledge of the self or consciousness which yearns to awaken and manifest. Everything in this universe wants to awaken and return to the truth and to consciousness. Every person. You know some of your friends are completely inert and dull. Well, maybe not your friends, but my friends are that way. And even they, there's a place in them that's seeking the highest truth and seeking the light. And everything in this universe really seeks it. It may take a long time for certain parts of it to come to the light, but there's a, this principle is seeking that. <clears throat> This movement towards self-revelation is spanda, the evolutionary impulse hidden in the world. I like a good detective story. And the biggest detective story is to find this principle in this, in, in this dull world full of stupid politics and insane events and where your sports team loses and everything is wrong. But even in that, Within that, there is this divine principle that we have to find. It is most manifest in the human being, and most especially in spiritual seekers, and it is perfected in the sages and siddhas. The sages and siddhas are those who make it their business to know that spanda principle. Human beings are creatures who have it, but don't necessarily know it. <clears throat> so the human beings are the highest, and among human beings, some human beings are conscious of it and consciously seek it, and among those who seek it, there are some who attain it. And that's why we revere the great sages and go to places like Ganeshpuri. So that's Spanda. <clears throat> How about um, two on mantra, and we can meditate. Short ones on mantra. Mantra is a, a great method that Baba was particularly fond of uh, because when we do meditate, even though he says it's so easy and wonderful, uh, what we encounter as soon as we meditate is the chattering of our minds and the uh, turbulence of our emotions. That's what you encounter. You have to be pretty strong to deal with that. You turn within, the mind is just going bananas and the emotions are going oranges and peaches, you know, pomegranates. <clears throat> They're going squash. 
and uh, anyway, I won't go there. Um, so that a great method given by the sages is mantra, very simple method. Just repeat a phrase uh, over and over again to quiet the mind. And of course, in our tradition, we, the main phrase we use is Om Namah Shivaya, which means I bow to the self, I honor that self within myself. <clears throat> so in this uh, little dharna, uh, it says, repeat in the constricted chakra where second force is collected. Repeat it in the second chakra. I won't, second, second force means a block. So go inside now and quickly scan uh, your navel area, your heart area, your throat area, and your third eye and see which one is most blocked or uncomfortable. First, go to the navel. Does that seem blocked or comfortable? Then go to the heart area. Does that feel blocked or comfortable? Then go to the throat area. Does that seem blocked or comfortable? And similarly go to the brow, the third eye, the intellectual center in the brow. Does that seem blocked or comfortable? Now find which one of those is the most restricted center, most uncomfortable one. And go to that center and repeat the mantra in that center. It takes some strength to do it because it's an uncomfortable center, you might want to run away. Just repeat the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya. Your heart may be heavy, repeat it there. Your third eye may be confused, repeat it there. Your throat might feel blocked, repeat it there. Your navel might feel contracted, repeat it there. Pick one and repeat it just for a couple of half a minute or so. Repeat the mantra in your most blocked center. Okay, now did you notice any positive movement from that method? Raise your hand if there was a positive movement, lessening of tension or something. That's very good. So you can use that if you like. <clears throat> That's a very good one. I'll do one more dharana on mantra and then we'll meditate. And you can use these if you like. This one says, if your mantra repetition seems dry and merely mental, try this. Okay, some people say, I repeat the mantra and it seems dry. 
So here's, this turns it around, okay? First go inside and contemplate the Spanda principle, the Shakti, until you can feel it. Is there anything inside that has life or energy, whether low below, like down in the navel area, or up in the heart, or up in the head? Find the most light that you can. This is the opposite of what we just did. We're finding the most light, the most upliftment, the most energy. Find that place of energy. I think most of you are able to find the place of most energy. And now say the mantra from the position of energy so that the mantra merges with the energy, with the shakti. And keep your focus both on the mantra and the shakti. So we'll do that meditation at the beginning. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. You can change to whatever meditation you, you desire, but start with that. <clears throat> and so that means you go to where, where you feel upliftment, where you feel energy, and repeat the mantra right there and join it to that upliftment. And keep saying it with that feeling of upliftment, keeping your mind on the Spanda principle and the mantra together. And so we'll meditate that way at the beginning and then you can go meditate as you like. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Let's meditate now for 10 minutes. <clears throat> 